We've been looking at these vision statements, identifying some of the things that we are about as a church. And uh, this morning we come to a local church that is word-grounded, that meaning that the word of God is our sole rule of faith and conduct. And uh, we've been looking at how as a church we want to be God-glorifying, God-honoring, and Christ-centered. And that then follows that it means we must be grounded in the word of God, which is the Bible. And I would say that one of the most crucial issues that faces the church and churches today is this. Do we really believe that the Bible, the Scriptures, are sufficient? Is Scripture enough to do the Lord's work? Now, there are many who would have a high view of the Bible on paper, as it were, in theory, but in practice, it is sidelined, set to the side. But if we really believe that the Bible is God's word, then it will be both in theory and practice our sole rule of faith and conduct, and it will be enough. And we should want the word of God to be central. We should want the preaching of God's word to be central. You know, we ask the question, why preaching? You know, the situation when it comes to the teaching and preaching of the Bible being central in the life of the church is something that is emphasized in the New Testament. We see that all the way through. But in our day, the very act of preaching seems very strange. A one-way monologue where the preacher seems to speak on behalf of God. You know, the, the idea of a one-way monologue, you know, they say, well, it might have been entertaining in the ancient world when they didn't have much else, but surely it has no place now. But the emphasis upon the preaching of the Word of God in the New Testament is clear. And the only authority that a preacher has is not from intellectual knowledge, it's not from political ideas, it's not from being a, 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 an able speaker. The authority comes from God's word alone. And so preachers don't have authority to review films or recommend where you should do your shopping or sharing thoughts about this or that theory. You know, they may well have interesting ideas. They may give good advice. But they speak on God's behalf only when they preach his word. Friends, this world is broken. And this terrible situation which we have seen arise in Ukraine has exposed again the fragility of life, the wickedness of men, and also how insecure our apparent security really is. And in such times as we are in now, in these troubled times, where do we look? And surely we don't just want human wisdom. We need that divine truth and authority. You know, you've got all the human wisdom that you could ever want at your fingertips. You know, you can turn on your television, there's self-help books, there's, there's podcasts, there's promises of a better you, there's bloggers and vloggers and opinion pieces near and far. You can't exhaust all the information that's there on the web. Human wisdom abounds. And so if as a church we're just offering more human wisdom, what's the point? And also, why listen to a little pastor in a little church instead of immersing yourself in the vast array of social media channels and experts and offerings? Why bother even getting to a local gathering like this on a Sunday when you can just tune in and watch whatever you like? 
we get up and we come together with the Lord's people on his day as well as at other times, not only because this is what he has instructed us to do, but also because this is where we hear from the king together. We come around the word together. And of course, we hear from him every time that we go to the scriptures on our own, but there is something specific happening when we hear from him together as a local church family. And we are shaped together as a family, as a people. And that's why preaching and teaching are so central to our coming together. You know, we could do all manner of things, but this is the central thing. And as we emerge from this strange time, the only way we'll, we will be, we'll be stronger and we'll be in a more solid position is if we can differentiate between all the, the human voices that try to grab our attention and our focus and the Word of God. We come together to hear God speak through His Word. And so we must have that, that passion for the Word of God. You know, those who were used to the Lord to uh, plant this church and establish it these centuries ago, remarkable brethren used to the Lord, they had a passion for the Word of God and for the sufficiency of Scripture. They wanted to be thoroughly biblical in the way the church was, and as we hope, it continues to be. You know, we read together, and have it open in front of you, if you will, Psalm 119. And uh, in those verses we read in verses 126, 136, you see the passion of the psalmist for the Word of God. You see he speaks of longing. He speaks of uh, panting for the Word and, and weeping streams of tears over the Word. Some might say, well, you know, surely... That's a little bit dramatic. You know, it doesn't, you know, surely people don't really feel like that about the scriptures, about the word. Well, you know, you can look at various reactions to the scriptures amongst people, and one commentator mentions a, a few. You have skeptics. And these types of people, you know, they might think, well, you know, these people all those years ago, they had a respect for God's law and obviously were taken up with it, but we can't be like that today. You know, they may feel that the Bible contains, you know, a divine word, but you've got to try and find it amongst all the human thinking and interpretations. And so they say, well, we can understand that the Bible is an inspiring book, but really it's outdated. And in fact, in places, it's quite offensive. And so you get the skeptics. And then you get those who are maybe conflicted. Those who would be happy to say, oh, well, yes, we, we believe that the Bible is the word of God. And, you know, we have a, a right view of scripture in theory. But in practice, their feeling is, it's just a bit irrelevant for today. And though they wouldn't say it openly, they just see, well, there are certain parts it just can't really apply to today. And so they read the good parts, they read the easy parts, the comforting parts, but, you know, really they just consign other parts of Scripture just to the side because in reality, you know, it just can't help today. And then you've got the advocates, those who affirm in heart and mind the truth and relevance of all of God's Word. And they believe in the sufficiency of God's word in principle and practice. And they know something of what the psalmist is saying and wish that they had more passion for the word themselves. 
They wish that they knew more of the word's impact upon them and that it would be central in their lives as individuals and as a church. They want to know more of what the psalmist is talking about. And really it's that, that latter expression which is where we want to be as a church in position, what we're built upon. To be convinced in principle and practice that the Bible is without error, that it is enduring in relevance, that it cannot be broken, and is in fact the most important message that we can know. And when we're convinced about the sufficiency of the Word of God and its authority and its clarity, everything else falls into place. Everything else falls into place. Now, just look at the psalm for a minute, Psalm 119, and let's just ask the question, well, what should I believe about the Word of God? Well, we should believe that God's Word declares what is true. You know, it's that simple. We should believe that when we come to the Scriptures, we are engaging with truth. And in a world where there is so much error, where there are so many lies, where there is so much falsehood, the Word of God always declares and is true. Think of Psalm 119, verse 89. Forever, O, word, o Lord, your Word is, a, is settled in the heavens. It doesn't change. Or verse 96. I have seen the consummation of all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. In other words, there's no limit to its perfection. It contains nothing that is corrupt. Verse 160 of Psalm 119. The entirety of your word is truth. Every one of your righteous judgments endures forever. So friend, if you need to know about God, about yourself, about the future, about the past, about life and death and eternity, where do we go? We go to the word of God. God's word is true. And also, God's word is righteous and declares what is right. You know, God rightfully issues commands. They always declare what is right. So Psalm 119, verse 75, I know, O Lord, that your judgments are right. You know, there are times when believers maybe submit to God's word grudgingly. They, they don't like it, but they know it's right. But it should go beyond that. Because we should see the goodness and the rightness of God's commands. And we should love what God loves and delight in what he says. As one explains, he doesn't give orders so that we might be restricted and miserable. He never requires what is impure, unloving, or unwise. His demands are always noble and just and always righteous. So God's word is righteous, declaring what is right. And then also we should believe that God's word provides what is good. Again, Psalm 119 says that the word of God is the way to true blessedness, happiness. It is the way to avoid shame. It is the way of safety. It is the way of wisdom. The word gives us strength and it gives us guidance and clarity. Brings us to know the Lord and to see him. And so God's verbal revelation, what he has set down in the Bible, whether in redemptive history or in the poetry parts or prophecy, all of it is unfailingly perfect. And so as believers, we trust the word to speak what is true, 
to command what is right, to provide what is good. That's where we should be when it comes to scriptures. But then you say, well, well, what should I feel about the word? If I believe these things, what, what should I feel about it? The psalmist tells us we should delight in the word. Delight in the word. The psalmist, when you read through Psalm 119, he delights in all the, the different elements in the word. He says that they're sweet like honey. That they're the, the joy of his heart. That they're wonderful and rich. He loves the word. And those who know it best delight in it most. And they're grieved and angered when the word is demeaned or disregarded. Friends, if we really delight in the word of God, we won't be indifferent to how it is handled. And so we will want to see it rightly divided. And we will have that discernment to be able to identify when that happens and when it doesn't happen. And so I ask you, do you delight in the word? Do you delight in it? Also, the psalmist desires the word. You know, if you go through, you see how that often he expresses a deep longing to keep the commands of God, to know and understand the word. Multiple times, uh, one says, desire is what we dream about. It's what we pray about. It's what we think about when we're free to think about whatever we want to think about. Some desires are good, some are bad. But consider in that jumble of longings and passions... How strong is your desire to know and understand and keep the word of God? See, we should desire it. should be a passion that we have. We should long to be in it. And we should depend upon it. You know, the psalmist speaks of clinging to the word, of needing the word, of resting on the promises. You know, in life, we might want lots of things, but few things that we actually really need. But we absolutely need the scriptures. You know, in the day of Amos, the most severe punishment to fall on the people of God was in Amos 8 verse 11, a famine of hearing the word of the Lord. Sometimes we take for granted that we can still come together around an open Bible and hear the preaching of his word. You know, judgment comes when there is a famine on the preaching of the word of God. Every true believer should feel deep in his bones an utter dependence upon God's self-revelation in the Scriptures. And friends, I'll be very clear. What we believe and what we feel about the Word of God mirrors what we believe and feel about the Lord Jesus. You know, there are many who divide the two, but that's not the case. And you say, well, how? How does that work? Jesus himself affirmed the scriptures as the word of God. And as his followers, we should believe and love them in the same way. And it's true that our desire, our delight, our dependence upon the word rises with our desire and delight and dependence upon Jesus. And his passion for truth, his truth, will indeed be that which is mirrored in our own lives. They rise together. If we love Jesus, we will love his word. And we will see, too, that God's word is enough. I wonder if you've ever asked questions in your life like, well, can the Bible really help with my biggest problem? 
Have you ever struggled for guidance and wished that you just had some special guidance just to, to show you? Have you ever wished for instant revelation rather than what you get from the Word? Have you ever secretly wanted to add something to the Word of God just to make it a bit easier? Have you ever wanted to get rid of something from the Word just to make it a bit more palatable? Have you ever just assumed that the Bible doesn't have anything to say about how to worship God or order his church? Have you ever felt that the Bible just wasn't enough for living a faithful, fruitful life in this world today? And if we've answered yes to any of those, the issue that we're struggling with at that point is the sufficiency of Scripture. Affirming the sufficiency of Scripture, you know, it's not saying that the Bible tells us everything that we ever need to know about everything. But it does tell us what we need to know about what matters most. And so the sufficiency of Scripture affirms that the Bible contains everything that we need to know about what it is to be saved and to live in a way that glorifies God. That the Word is perfect, that it is enough. And sometimes we can battle in this area. We, we say the right things about the Bible, but we just feel as though we need something else. We need to add something, and that would really bring us on. That would really bring us close to Jesus. But I'd also say this. When we think along those lines, it calls into question the finality of Christ's redemption because that is intimately tied up with the finality of his revelation to us. Hebrews 1, verses 1 to 4, makes clear that we shouldn't separate redemption from revelation. You see, the Son, the Lord Jesus, is superior to all others because in him we have the fullness and the finality of God's redemption and revelation. Jesus is the pinnacle. There is, there is him, and he alone, he is there. He is the fulfillment, he is the completion, he is the definitive revelation. God has spoken in these last days by his Son. And so it should never be the Bible versus Jesus or the Scriptures versus the Son. Hebrews dismisses that. Now we know the Bible is not Jesus. Jesus is the word made flesh. The words of the Bible are distinct. But they're also inseparable. As one explains, every act of redemption from the exodus, the return from exile, all the way through to the cross is also a revelation. They tell us about the nature of sin, the way of salvation, what God is like. And the point of revelation is always to redeem. Redemption reveals, revelation redeems, and Christ is the pinnacle of both. And so nothing can be added to the saving work that he has done and nothing can be added to the revelation of that saving work. And so if we say that revelation isn't complete, we have to admit somehow that that work of salvation, that work of redemption also remains unfinished. And so God speaks to us through his Son and this is by the revelation of the Son's redeeming work that we find first predicted, and prophesied and prefigured in the Old Testament, recorded in the Gospels, and unpacked by the Spirit through the rest of the Apostles, rest of the New Testament, it is all there for us in the Word of God. And the Scripture is enough because the Word of Christ 
is enough. They stand or fall together. And so the Son's redemption, the Son's revelation, they are both sufficient. And so, friend, there is nothing more to be done or to be known for salvation or for how to walk with the Lord and to know the Lord more than what we see and know about Christ through Christ in the Spirit-inspired, God-breathed Word. I'm so excited. It should thrill us that we have here before us in the Word of God to know Him, to commune with Him, to, to fellowship with Him, And the Spirit of God, the author of the Word, works upon that Word and applies it to us that we're changed and helped. And that's true for us as individuals, but it's also true for us as a church together. And so if we have this right view of the Scriptures, then the Word will be right at the heart in principle and practice of what we do. You know, if we believe the Bible, if we delight in the Bible, we'll want the Bible to be central in what we do. And even if you just read through Psalm 119, it is full of Spirit-inspired instruction about how we should use the Word. Let me tell you. So it says we should sing the Word. We should speak the Word. We should study the Word. We should store up the Word. We should obey the Word. We should praise God for the Word. We should pray that God would act according to his word. And so when we have these things in place, as we believe in the Bible as a local church, we will have confidence in the word of God that it is enough to accomplish what God desires to do in our midst. And really that comes down to something that we call the regulative principle. And that's simply that what we do in, as a church together, specifically in our worship, is to be warranted and grounded in the Bible. And so we don't just do things because it might be popular at the time or appealing to the world, but because there is a biblical principle and a precedent. Now, others take a different view. They call it the normative principle, and that says you can do anything you want that is not explicitly forbidden in Scripture. Now, I haven't got time to go into all of that, but it is clear we want to be based on what the Bible says. And if we believe in the sufficiency and authority of Scripture, we'll want the Word to direct what we do. Now, let me give you the the practicality of that, particularly when it comes to our worship together. Does God care how we worship? That's such a big question. Is it just sincerity and freedom that counts? Of course, we we long to know a vibrancy and a liberty and a, a life, but it is the Word that shows what the Lord requires. And the Scriptures are full of passages that show that God really does care how His people worship Him. You know, worship is the purpose of redemption. You know, you see that also prefigured in the Old Testament. You know, think of Exodus chapter 3 through 10. God delivers his people out of Egypt. Where do they go? Well, eventually they arrive at Sinai. What does God reveal to them there? He reveals to them how he wants them to approach and worship him. And God had already explained when he had commissioned Moses, the burning of the bush, that Moses would be vindicated when Israel worshipped God on the mountain. So God appointed the place, he appointed the time, and when they got there, he gave the requirements of worship. And so when they go away from that, think of Exodus 20, what do they do? They make a golden calf because they get impatient. God's judgment is swift. 
And it shows how seriously he takes his holiness in the worship of him. And so we're not to worship him in any way we want, but in the way he is revealed. And that's as true in the new covenant as well. Corporate worship, worship that we do together as a family, is central to God's purpose in redemption. And it's too important just to be left to what we think. And so we need to be guided by the word of God, directed by the word. You know, John 4, Jesus is there with the woman at the well. And uh, as they speak together, he tells the woman that Samaritan worship was inadequate because they only used the Pentateuch and not the whole of the Old Testament. And so the worship was inadequate because proper worship is a response to who God has revealed himself to be. And so our worship is regulated by what is revealed in spirit and in truth. And so the word is vital in that. And so you say, well, if God cares about how we worship, what does it look like? Well, over the centuries since the Reformation, there's been a consistency in worship. Dramatic shifts have only really happened in the last 50 years or so. And those committed to seeing the church reformed according to the word of God have held to a common line about what is to be present when the Lord's people come together to worship him, particularly on his day. And it's really simple. Read the word, preach the word, pray the word, sing the word, see the word. It's really simple. And it demonstrates that we don't just structure our worship like this because, you know, it's how it was done in the 50s or whatever. But there is a purposeful flow that is centered on the word. You know, let me just guide you through it. You know, we begin with the word. So that's why we have a call to worship. And then it's followed by a hymn of worship to a great God. And then there is a, a prayer of praise, adoration and confession of sin. And then we would have a reading from the Old Testament. And then usually a hymn exalting Christ or the gospel. And then New Testament reading, prayer, thanks and petition. Then a hymn preparing for the message, the message from the scripture. And then a hymn in response to the message and a closing prayer all based on scripture. So there is a flow and a direction in our worship together. And so let's just unpack some of these things. Why should we read the word? You know, one person, it's very interesting, did a survey. They traveled around many churches in America and also in this country. And uh, they did a survey and they found that the thing that was most lacking in services was the reading of scripture. So there might be a, a verse here or there, but actually reading passages of Scripture was something that was being marginalized in many uh, church services. Whereas 1 Timothy 4.13 says, Till I come, give attention to the reading of Scripture. That's talking about the, the public reading of Scripture. And so pastors, elders are commanded to make sure that the Word of God is read regularly in the public assembled congregation. You know, Scripture is powerful even when it is read without explanation. The Lord uses his word. And by making time for the reading of the word publicly every week from the Old Testament and the New Testament, we are also making a statement about the value that we place on God's word as a whole. And when we listen to that, we are saying that we are eager to hear the word of the Lord. We desire it. And it acknowledges that the life and growth of our church depends on the power of God's word. So we see the completion there. 
And then we should preach the word. 2 Timothy 4.2, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. And that command comes, by the way, from the head of the church, the Lord Jesus. And so pastors, elders are not doing what they are commanded to do if they don't preach the word. The preaching of the word, we said earlier, is central. It is God's ordained method for communicating this gospel, that God is holy, that we are sinners, that Jesus is the Son of God sent to save those who believe in him through his life, his death on the cross, and his resurrection. It's there for the building up of the Lord's people to equip the saints for service. Engaging the mind, touching the heart, showing the truth of Christ, the glory of Christ, explaining and applying the word, exalting the God of the word. And you know, when you see God in that way, your appetite grows and you have an increased eagerness yourself to be in the word. And God promises to bless the the reading and teaching of his word, the whole counsel of God. And the sheep will always hear the master's voice. And so we preach the word. And when we hear the word preached in person, the congregation and preacher, we are experiencing together something that is happening in time and space. The sermon that is casting a vision for God's word for for a particular people in a particular place, committed together to worship the Lord and serve the Lord together. Of course, There's so much value in personal devotions and thinking over what we've heard preached on our own, but there is something specific in the word being applied to us together as a people, and then us living that out together in our attitudes, how we worship, how we witness. You know, as a a pastor, even in delivering the truth of God's word, I am being shaped with you in submission to that truth. I am one of you, as it were under the word and so the preaching of the word we need to pray the word 1 Timothy 2 1 therefore I exhort first of all that supplications prayers intercessions giving of thanks be made for all men again that's part of the instructions for public worship prayer must be key in that and those leading in worship must see the importance of leading the people in prayer modeling and teaching the people for good or bad that is what will happen And so praying God's word back to him in corporate worship communicates that we are approaching God on his terms. And you know that that Acts pattern is so helpful. Adoration of God, confession of sin, thanksgiving to God and supplication. Always acknowledging our dependence upon him. We pray the word and then we sing the word. Ephesians 5:19 speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody in our heart in your heart to the Lord. You know when we sing the gospel together as a whole church it forges that unity around biblical truth. And as we express together, you know, our, our, our delight in the, the great truths and the wonders of the gospel and knowing the Lord, we encourage one another. Something we're doing together. And we worship our great God and Savior. It's such a blessing to be able to sing together the great truths with common tune and harmony that exalts the Lord and encourages us on. And when we see each other and we're singing together, it's good. 
And friend, it's so much the more in our society, which is so individualized, that we sing together. God has given us so much to be encouraged by in his word. And what we should sing should raise our view of the greatness of God and present him in all his glory and grace. And, you know, that's why it's so important that what we sing is good and right. And then lastly, and we finish now, we see the word. Luke twenty-two nineteen, Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. And so he has given us these, these ordinances of baptism and the Lord's table. And they are the physical demonstrations and illustrations of the gospel given by Jesus himself to the church. Baptism, we know, portraying that spiritual death to sin, burial with Christ, and resurrection with him to new life. Spiritual life evidenced in the life of the individual and affirmed by the church. The bread and wine of the Lord's table, symbolizing the body and blood of Christ, broken and poured out for remission of sins. The family meal which we eat together, affirming one another in the Lord. You know, these things are a means of grace and display God's word to us in those tangible forms. We feel the waters of baptism. We touch and taste the bread and wine. And so these things are set before us in the word of God. So much more could be said. But it all comes down to being a church that wants to glorify God, exalt the Lord Jesus to do his work, his way. And how do we do that? By obeying his word. It's that simple. It's not complicated. And we believe that the scriptures are sufficient, that they are enough, and that they direct us to do what we should do in worship, in witness and work, in a way that pleases our God. And surely... We want to please him. Surely we want to glorify him. Surely we want Jesus to be exalted. Well, may he help us as a church and may the word of God ever be central to what we do. Amen.